0: Will you open your Bibles with me, please, to Acts chapter 20 and look at verse 28 with me. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. By the way, I'll, I'll just stick this in here now too. Today is the last Sunday of like regular time. I believe daylight savings time starts next Sunday. Believe it or not, is that something? I think I'm right about that. So, there you go. Is that right? I think it is. Yeah. So you know in advance. Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Now we come to your word to read and to study, to worship, to worship you, to hear your holy scripture expounded in such a way that I pray will edify your church, and we worship, and we wait on you, and we pray that divine, holy teacher in us, you, the Holy Spirit, would work on our hearts and minds and grant to your servants strength to be doers of your word and not hearers only. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So before I read verse 28, uh, and I'm going to read, I'll read a few verses after that. I'll read read 28 to 31, just to bring you up to speed on the in-depth study of this sermon, this message, really, of the Apostle Paul's to the Ephesian church elders that we've been doing. Just to bring you up to speed on what we've done so far. Um, In the beginning of this message, in verse 18, he talked about what manner of life he lived. And we took a whole Sunday to talk about the idea of setting an example and the importance of that. And then in verse 19, he talked about Part of that example that he set was that he served God. He served the Lord. And so we took a whole Sunday to talk about serving the Lord. Then in the next little section in verses 19 to 21, he talked about the, uh, the humility that is necessary. He described himself as how he humbly just worked and served and persevered through all sorts of hardships. Took a Sunday to deal with that. Then we took a whole Sunday to deal with verses 22 through 24 when he talked about the chains and the tribulations that were waiting for him. Talked about how he was ready to finish the work. And he made that, um, he made that incredible statement that he wanted to finish his race with joy. right, Even through hardship and even through trouble. And then last Sunday we talked about something called the whole counsel of God. Last Sunday's message where, was where, in Paul's message to the Ephesian church, it had a little transition, right? Now, he really began in earnest to speak to them. And he spoke a very powerful, amazing statement. He said that his hands were free of the blood of everybody, right? Why? Because he didn't shun to declare the whole counsel of God. And I started by asking you a question last week, and I'm going to reiterate that question now, because I asked you last week, if you knew you were going to see somebody for the last time, what would you say to them? And we started unpacking what Paul said to them after he declared he was going to see them for the last time in verse 25. But you notice that in the first part of that message, he continued to talk about like his own experience and his own example right in verse 25 he says indeed now i know that among you all that you all among whom i have gone preaching the kingdom of god will see my face no more then look what he says therefore what therefore i testify to you this day that i'm innocent of the blood of all men for i've not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of god so again he's still sort of talking about himself right Now, look at the next word in verse 28. There's the word therefore. I don't know if you realize it, but with all of the preaching and teaching that we've done through this passage of Scripture, here comes the first time in this whole message that he's going to tell them to do something. Now, it's already been implied, because as he describes the way that he set, as as he describes his own ministry and what he did, he is inferring that that's my example and you need to follow that right but here's the first time where he like directly tells them here's what i want you to do so i want to reiterate the question if you knew you were going to see someone for the last time what would you say to them well we already saw that he pointed out the importance of the whole counsel of god so that's number one on the list and that should do something to show you the importance of studying Scripture and your love and your exaltation and your value of the Word of God. But now it comes to what he says to them. In many respects, this is like the highlight verse of this whole sermon. And it's taken us, this is our sixth week in this passage, and we're finally to it. Verse 28. Therefore, take heed to yourselves, And to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, To draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. What are the commands that are given in that passage? That's one of the easiest ways to kind of break down a passage of Scripture like this. When you start there in verse 28, the first command is to take heed, right? And then the second command, if you will, is to shepherd. And then the third command is what? To watch. And you can really understand Paul's heart. First, he says of himself, I haven't shunned to declare the whole counsel of God. But now here's what he says to them to do. Take heed, shepherd, watch. Now, today, we're going to only talk about the first part of that. Because that phrase, take heed to yourselves, is quite a statement. Let me read to you something that John MacArthur wrote in his commentary on the book of Acts on this chapter. Listen to this. The first priority for anyone involved in spiritual leadership is his own relationship with God. Effective ministry is not mere outward activity. It is the overflow of a rich, deep relationship with God. And then Pastor MacArthur quotes John Owen. A minister may fill his pews, his communion role, the mouths of the public. But what that minister is on his knees in secret before God Almighty That he is, and no more. MacArthur then continues, No one is ready to face the pressures and responsibilities of ministry who is not right with God. Those pressures, as well as the demand to set the example, require that leaders constantly be on guard. So the first thing that he says here, and this will occupy our time today, is he says, take heed to yourselves. And isn't that interesting? Because when you think of someone who's going to be a pastor, you think of someone who's an elder in a church, probably the first thing you think of is their preaching and their ministry and, and the things that they do in order to shepherd and to serve other people. And of course you would think that because that's the visible part of their lives. Right? But what Paul says to these guys in talking about what is important for them to do now that he wasn't going to see them anymore, the first thing he says is to take heed to yourselves. Take heed to yourselves. And when you start to unpack the passage then, especially verse 28 itself, what you see is he says, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, but then... After he says all the flock, the words that follow really describe them more than they do the flock. You see, Among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Then he talks about the flock when he says, I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves are going to come in among you and they're not going to spare the flock. It's very important that a pastor... And, and again, he's talking to elders here. He's talking to the pastors of the church. So a lot of the things that I say here will seem like they're maybe mostly relevant to myself, but not so. It's really relevant to all of us because we all have a responsibility in the church to pray for, listen to, respect the position of, love the pastor uh, and the pastor's the elders of the church, right? And so there's good instruction for all of us. And I would add, like I did last week, that among you, perhaps there are those, among you men, there are those who one day the Lord might call into the very same position. And this passage of Scripture is a really good one to have locked up in your mind and in your heart before you proceed with that endeavor. So I thought, of, I thought of five points as I looked through this passage. And I'm going to tell you right ahead of time that we're going to go through all five of them today, but the first one is going to take a long time. And then two, three, four, five will go by. Boom, 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 boom. But the first point is this idea of taking heed to yourself. The word heed or the command take heed is prosecco in Greek. And the idea of taking heed is to, to pay attention to something or to be cautious about something, to apply yourself to something. That's the idea of take heed. So what he's saying is pay attention to yourself. Be cautious about yourself. Apply yourself to yourself. That sounds like a strange thing, right? But that's what the pastor needs to do. What good can the pastor be in his position in the church if he is not in his own life walking with the Lord the way that he should? So the number one thing, point number one of my five that we'll spend most of the time with today is that the pastors, the elders, need to remember their own walk with the Lord. The best way, I believe, to explain this, is to let the Bible do what the Bible does. The Bible is an amazing book because the Bible, if you read it all and pay attention to it all and devote yourself to it all, you will know that the Bible does a very good job of teaching and explaining itself. Have you experienced that in your years of reading the Bible? I always tell people when they're reading the Bible, if you start in the beginning and you start to read and you start to come across all these lists of commands, and you, you know, a lot of people start reading the Bible and they'll get through Genesis and they're like, oh, this isn't so bad. You know, pretty exciting story, neat history, everything else. Then you get into Exodus and, yeah, oh, I recognize this. This is Moses and all oh, the Ten Commandments, you know, and everything. And then you start reading in Exodus the stuff that God wrote on those tablets and all the commands. It's like, woo, this is pretty heavy. Then you get into Leviticus. Right? Right. And then you get into Leviticus, and you know, now you're like you're reading about all these commands about sacrifices, and you know, sprinkle this here, wave this here, slay this, burn this there. And it's like, and you're like, and a lot of people stall. And I always tell people when they read and study scripture, when you get to those things, even if you don't fully understand every word, just plow through. Just keep going because you know what the bible does if you keep going the bible will explain to you as you get through it what it is the reward is when you get through all those things you will come to things i'll explain you start to read through leviticus and you get through it you slug through it you don't think you understand every single little thing but eventually as you go by you realize it dawns on you man sin is really brutal before god I mean, sin is really ugly to the Lord. I mean, you get the picture that there's just blood everywhere all the time, you know? And it's like, yeah, that's sin. And then if you keep reading and reading and reading, you get to the point where Jesus dies on the cross. And then the Bible declares that was the one-time sacrifice for all sin. And then when you connect in your mind all that mess in Leviticus with the brutal sacrifice that Jesus made for us, then you realize the weight of what Jesus did. Everything that all those... But but, And I don't want to elaborate on all of the theology of that as much as I want to show you that the Bible is a book that explains itself. Yes. So don't give up. Every Christian needs to be devoted to Scripture. And I'm only saying all that because that's what we're going to do today is we're going to let the Bible explain this. And this is very powerful for me as a pastor. But So now you're ready for this? If you want to see how like I organize sermons sometimes. So I told you I have five points. I told you my first point is that the pastors need to remember their own walks. Now I have a list of, I didn't even enumerate them, but gee, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight subpoints under point one. I told you we were going to spend most of the time with point number one, okay? So are you all ready to hear from God's word? So, As the pastor remembers his own walk, here are some of the things that the pastor needs to attend to. Because that's what he's told. Take heed to yourselves, pastors, congregation. See to it that your pastor and help your pastor take heed to himself. Here are some ways the pastor can take heed to himself. First one, concerning his own relationship with God The pastor should consider what right from the beginning were the qualifications for him to be what he is and watch his own life. Listen to what... And and by the way, all these verses I'm going to read to you are from 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, or Titus because that's Paul writing to pastors, basically. So 1 Timothy chapter 3 says this. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop... He desires a good work. And let me just insert here, if I could, that you get some insight into these titles. Because if you look around at churches, you will see that churches have pastors, churches have bishops, churches have deacons, churches have elders, churches have people with titles uh, that, that maybe you've never even heard of. But what you can see clearly as you read through scripture, especially in the passage of scripture that I just read to you, is that basically bishop, pastor, elder, all the same guy. In fact, all three of those titles are applied to these guys in this passage in chapter 20 of the book of Acts. He calls the elders to gather together to speak to them. He says to them, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers over the church. That's the word bishop. Episcopos and then he tells them to shepherd the flock, which is the word uh, poimen, which is where we get the word shepherd or pastor from. Right, that's why pastors are called pastors. It's a it's a takeoff on the Greek word poimen, which basically means pastor. Right, so you see the elder, the shepherd, the pastor, the bishop, the overseer. He's talking to all the same people, but here in First Timothy, Paul says to Timothy. If a man desires the position of a bishop, that's one of those words, overseer, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be, ready, blameless. The husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man doesn't know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, that is a newbie, right? Lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, in addition to all that, he has to have a good testimony among those who are outside lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. the devil. If the pastor is going to look to his own self, if the pastor is going to take heed to himself, he needs to remember those things and he needs to give attention to those things. Those are things that are listed in the scripture there as prerequisites, things that need to be in place before someone even becomes the pastor. It starts off with the desire He's not talking to people who are bishops there. He's talking to people who desire the office of the bishop. And then he says to them, here are the things that need to be in place. And just to go through a few of them, it was 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. It says, he must be blameless. What does that mean? Does that mean he never sins? No, because pastors are sinners, just like every man and woman are sinners. And and if we say we have no sin, we're liars, and the truth is not in us. But what does blameless mean? Blameless means there's nothing that, like... People can hang on him. Like there's no there's no thing about his life that is this big thing that just gets attached to him and stuck to him. You know, Pastor Lou is a fill in the blank. Pastor whoever is a fill in the blank. That's why like when pastors fall into immorality, that's why they fall so hard and it's like really not even proper. Every Christian ought to be able to be restored to fellowship with God, and to a place within the church. But that's why a pastor really can't continue in that role anymore when he falls into that sort of thing. Because you can't say what? Blameless. He's got that thing that's going to follow him around. Not stuff he did before he was a Christian, right? Not stuff he did before he was in the position, but stuff stuff that like happens when he's in the position, right? You can't have that stuff hanging off you. He needs to be the husband of one wife right? That means the pastor needs to be in love with his wife, right? John MacArthur says that the basic definition of that, well, technically he says it means a one-woman man, that means he's devoted only to his wife, and he adds that uh, it means he needs to be madly in love with her, right? In his eyes, in his mind, in his heart, one woman, no one else, Temperate means that he's moderate in all of his behavior. He's sober-minded. In other words, he doesn't have delusions of grandeur about himself. Good behavior. He's a friendly person. He's a kind person. He's not getting into trouble. He's not in the middle of. Uh, he's not in the middle of all sorts of bad stuff all the time. He's hospitable. That is, he tries to care for people. He's able to teach. He's not given to wine, uh, so he's not like a drunkard. You know, he's not violent. He doesn't resolve matters by resolving, resorting to violence. He has to be one who's not greedy for money. He's not always shaking down the church and shaking down others and looking for money, ways to get money for himself. But what he needs to be is a gentle person, not quarrelsome, not always arguing with people, not always in conflict with people. But he needs to be a gentle person, even in conflict. He needs to handle things gently. Not covetous. His own house. He needs to rule over his own house. You should be able to look at a pastor's house and know that the pastor's in charge of his house. Right? I mean, the pastor can't control, you know, I can't control everything that Roberta does or Jonathan does or Anna does, right? But if you look at my house, you should be able to know, yep, pastor Lou's in control of his house and he rules over it well. Right? Um, His children are in submission with all reverence that is they ob- his children obey him right if 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 a pastor's children aren't obedient to their father that presents a bad example for the church and the ch- and and the pastor doesn't have that part of him in order because he has to apply some of the same kinds of leadership and even discipline in the church and if he can't do it in his own house then how can you rightly say that he's gifted to do it in the church, right, et cetera, and so forth. I like, I like the last part of that that says he must have a good testimony among those who are outside. In other words, specifically, the pastor, you even need to be able, now look, it doesn't mean everyone in the world's gonna like him. I got news for you. The world doesn't, a lot of people in the world don't like me. No one's deliberately mean to me, I don't think, but, 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 uh, but, but I mean, people don't like to listen to what I say. People don't necessarily like it when I'm around because they know if they hang around with me long enough, they know what they're going to hear and they don't really want to listen to that, right? But to, to be of a good testimony means people generally understand, you know what, you know, he, he, is, he is sincere about his belief in God and his life reflects that he truly loves God. That's being a good testimony. Yeah. That's something every Christian should strive for. But a pastor has to have a good testimony. So number one on the list of things that a pastor has to remember in his own life, as he considers his own walk, is he has to remember what his qualifications were and continue to be for his whole life. Because Paul's telling these elders to shepherd the flock. And if they're going to effectively shepherd the flock, they need to remain consistent with the qualifications for being in the position to begin with. Number two, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses number two is progress. The second thing about a pastor's own walk is that a pastor should always be progressing, progressing in his understanding, progressing in his personal maturity, progressing in his study, progressing in his ministry in general. There should be progress. Progress, spiritual progress. Paul told Timothy, let no one despise your youth, (coughs) but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Now listen to this. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. People should be able to... And then he tells Timothy, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. So another thing that's important as a pastor content, uh, considers himself and his own walk, takes heed to himself, is his progress. It should be evident to all, right? You should be able to see that your pastor is faithfully studying the word. It should come out in his preaching and his teaching, and it should come out in his living that he's grown as a Christian and that he's grown as a pastor. That's number two. Number three is the pastor should be attentive to his own purity, I would say. And with purity here, I'm not so much talking about purity of like any particular thing like like sexual immorality or anything like that, although that's obviously important. But 1 Timothy 5.22, Paul tells Timothy, don't lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. That is, the pastor doesn't allow himself to get entangled with other people who are walking in sin. That is, the pastor keeps himself holy. Maybe holiness is a better word than purity there. Although the word that's used in 1 Timothy 5.22 is to keep yourself pure. But that's the idea, is the pastor doesn't let himself get entangled with people who are walking in carnality and worldliness and sin. Number four, to some extent the pastor should be concerned and take care of his own health. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Interesting. This is one where you don't want to be over the top with it because people with their health can become worshippers of their own bodies and physical health can actually become an idol. Sometimes physical health can, even in our minds, take the place of, or, or become like a sign that God is with you. Like if I'm healthy all the time, God is with me, and if I'm sick or there's something wrong with me physically, then God must not be with me. That's wrong. Also, the, the, uh, sometimes the prosperity gospel or what's called the Word of Faith movement, will promote that if there's anything wrong with you physically, then obviously God will make that right. He must, because it is God's will for you to be healed. And you absolutely must be healed. And, you know, it's funny. Paul is making this speech in a place called Miletus. And in one of of his other letters, he said he left one of his brothers in Miletus, whose name was Trophimus, and he was sick. He was too sick to go on with Paul, so Paul left him there to recover. Now, you know, you would think if if God automatically wanted everyone to be healed, that Paul would be one of the people who could bring that about, right? But that wasn't the case. So so you can get a little crazy with this, but I think it's important for the pastor to look to his own physical body. I'll confess before you, that's a struggle for me. Those of you who have not, I mean, I've been up here in front of you for 20 years now, so you've seen my weight go down and up and down and up and down and up and down and up. And I work at it, I do. And I'm, I'm in the middle of working at it right now and off to a pretty good start, so you could pray for me. But, but at the same time, he tells Timothy, who apparently had frequent infirmities, to take a little wine and not only drink the water, right? In other words, you're going to be a pastor, be, be wise about what you do with your body because it's a very physically demanding job to sit and to study and to concentrate and to preach and to along the way bear up with persecution and trouble and squabbles and disagreements that always arise. All that stuff weighs in, weighs in. It weighs in very heavily and it becomes a very physically demanding job. Not physically like, I know some of you brothers have jobs where you work in construction or some of you are out driving trucks all day or whatever you're doing, There's a lot of physical demands that go along with that. The physical demands of the pastorate are not necessarily uh, lots of things that stretch the muscles physically of the body, but they certainly do stretch the emotions and the mind and the spirit. And it's very easy to get it crushed and you just have to labor through it. So take care of your health a little bit too. Needs to think about that. Number five, the pastor has to take care of his focus. His focus is what I would call it. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, listen to this. If anyone teaches otherwise, in other words, the things that Paul was trying to pass along to Timothy, if anyone teaches anything else and doesn't consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the doctrine which accords with godliness, he's proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling evil suspicions useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain from such look at this withdraw yourself in other words one of the things that the pastor has to do if he's going to take heed to himself is he has to know when to draw back If people are just going to argue about this and argue about that and engage in squabbles and discussions that have nothing to do with preaching the gospel and making disciples and strengthening the church and being good ambassadors for Christ and showing the love of Christ on display. If people are just going to be involved with this and that and the other thing that has nothing to do with the mission of the church and it leads to all sorts of disputes and squabbles and arguments and ill will and all the gossip and slander and the evil that goes along with it the pastor needs to do what withdraw yourself you see the i don't know if you turn there or not but in first timothy 6:5 he talks about who suppose that godliness is the mean, is a means of gain right in other words people people would even like teach that godliness Living godly, serving the Lord, meant that God was going to bless you financially. God was going to bless you materially. And people would argue about that stuff in the church. Paul tells Timothy, withdraw yourself from that. He tells him to speak against it, but don't get sucked into it. Withdraw yourself from it. So a pastor needs to keep his focus. You see all this? This is all important. This is all stuff that a pastor needs to do and you need to pray for him to do if he's going to take heed to himself. He has to remember his own walk. He has to remember what the qualifications are and be attentive to walking in those things. He has to be making progress in his own life and even so that people can see it. (coughs) He needs to attend to his own holiness, his own health. He needs to keep his own focus. And then here's another one. He needs to make sure the world around him does not have undue influence on how he lives. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. Listen to this. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich, Fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. In other words, what Paul is saying there is, people in the world will bite, scrape, cheat, lie, steal, go to war to just pursue riches and the pleasures of this life. Paul says to the pastor, that's not you. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Not getting as rich as you possibly can. Godliness with contentment is great gain. You didn't bring anything into the world. You're not going to take anything out. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. They drown themselves in all the sorrows of this world. And then he says, but you flee from it. Flee from it and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and patience and gentleness. That's what the pastor needs to pursue. So he needs to keep his life free from undue influence of the desires and lusts and pursuits of this world. A pastor needs to be focused on his work. A pastor needs to recognize that he is set aside for something that God has set him aside for that's going to make perhaps his life very different from the rest of the world around him. Next, he needs to, the pastor needs to accept and affirm affirm that suffering is part of the job. Part of the job, as he looks to himself. Uh, 2 Timothy verses, verse, chapter 1, verse 8 starts off, Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel, according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose, etc. He goes on to say, I suffer these things, nevertheless I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. You see how the Bible teaches the Bible? What are we talking about? We're talking about how pastors need to watch out for themselves. Here's Paul telling Timothy basically how to take heed to yourself. And one of the biggest things that a pastor, and really, and really the pastor needs to do this because he needs to be an example for the rest of the people of the church. Suffering as a Christian is part of the call of God. That usually doesn't get any amens, and I understand that. But elsewhere, Scripture tells us that it was given to us not only to believe in Jesus' name, but also to suffer for His sake. We are called to be so devoted to the Lord, so focused on things of heaven and things of the kingdom of God, things of the spirit of God, so focused on our study of God's word and our worship of him, so devoted to the ministry of the gospel, so devoted to prayer, pastors first of all, and then people of the church as well. So committed that it even arryles the world around us and suffering for the sake of that call happens. And what Paul tells Timothy, and the context of 2 Timothy, is that Paul realizes that Timothy is really struggling with the fact that Paul is in prison again and people are starting to turn away from him. He's suffering! I I mean, listen... You read about Timothy following Paul around. They go to this place and they preach and hundreds of people get saved and they go here and they preach. More people get saved. There's persecution along the way, but there's miracles happening all the time too. And it's all, wow, it's great. Now now Timothy's the pastor at Ephesus and now it's going to get really real for lack of a better way of saying it. Now it's starting to get into some of the stuff that really goes on among Christians and churches, which maybe shouldn't be, but it is. And Paul needs to tell Timothy, listen, you don't be ashamed of this. Don't be ashamed of the fact that I'm in prison again. No. He said, share with it. Share in it with me. Suffering's part of the gig. And every pastor needs to know that. If you're going to be a pastor, if you're going to continue as a pastor, and every time things get hard, you're ready to quit. And I'll admit, there are times where in my head, I'm like, why do I continue to do this? And every pastor faces those things. But you need to remember this, it's part of the gig, it's part of the call. It's part of being a Christian. So so if the pastor thinks that by leaving the pastorate and just being a quote-unquote regular Christian, all of his troubles are going to go away, then the pastor has lost sight not just of what his ministry is, he's lost sight of what Christianity is. But suffering is part of the gig. Yeah. Last on this list. Last, see, I've, I'm through my sub list already. There you go. I'm through my sub list. Grace. The, if you want to look to yourself and take heed to yourself, never forget grace. Never forget that the grace of God is that which brings salvation to you. The grace of God is that which brings salvation to your hearers. The grace of God is that which sustains you and, and, and the grace of God is that which teaches you to deny lusts and the grace of God should be on display in your life, in your words and in how you deal with others. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, Paul said to Timothy. So there's a bunch of things. That was point number one, all of that. But I told you that. I warned you of that ahead of time. Right? If the past And listen, there's so much more I could say about this. But I wanted to just let the Bible teach the Bible. If the pastor is going to be mindful. If the pastor is going to take heed, do his own walk. If the pastor is going to pay attention to himself. If he's going to... If he's going to be cautious about himself and apply himself to himself. He needs, among other things, perhaps, to remember the qualifications and examine himself, self-examination, check himself against the qualifications. He needs to be making progress. He needs to be pure. He needs to even look to his own physical health. He needs to stay focused. He, not, he needs to not let the world unduly influence him and pull him into all of its evil pursuits. He needs to recognize that suffering is part of the job and he must never forget grace. If a pastor will attend to those things, the Lord will be with him, the Lord will help him, and the Lord will guide him through. So point number one from Acts chapter 20 was he needed to... Think of himself. Take heed to himself. Now, let's press on, and the rest of this goes by quick. Maybe I won't even do it all today, but we'll see. In fact, maybe I'll just do one more point for today, and that'll be it. Because this one, this is very important. I want you to see this. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. Next week, we'll talk more about the flock among which the holy spirit has made you overseers the pastor needs to remember who put him there yeah. do you see do you see the uh do you see the entirety of the trinity in this passage yeah. by the way isn't that glorious you see here that the holy spirit is described as the one who put the pastor in his position as an overseer, right? you see that the church is described as God's, which would probably primarily focus on the Father. And then you see which he purchased with his own blood, which would be a direct reference to Jesus on the cross. So you see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they all make an appearance. The He there might be a reference to the entire Trinity. Certainly would include Christ because He's the one who died for us. But you see there the whole triune God, our one God, at work in the life and the ministry of the pastor. And this statement here, we are told that the Holy Spirit is the one who put Him there. And I just want to remind you here of a couple of things In Romans chapter 12, it says, I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, why? As God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So God has given every person in the church The measure of faith. That is, God has given it to each person to exercise their faith. That is, the things that they do. To include the pastor. The pastor is not the pastor because he's a better Christian. The pastor is the pastor because the Holy Spirit gave some gifts to him that are expected that he uses. Right? The only one who gets preeminence in the church is who? Christ. Not the pastor. Christ. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. And then it lists a bunch of things. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering, etc. So, The pastor needs to remember that the giftedness that he has is from God, the Holy Spirit, as it says in 1 Corinthians 12, a parallel passage to the Romans passage. There's diversities of gifts, but all the same spirit, differences of ministries, but all the same Lord. It talks about how the manifestation of the Spirit is given to everyone. It mentions some more of the miraculous gifts like speaking in tongues and healing and working of miracles. But here's the the, the key. Verse 11 of that passage says, One and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. In other words, when Paul says to them, Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Focus in on what he's saying there. He's reminding them that the Holy Spirit has made them the overseers of the church. The Holy Spirit has put them in that position. How so? By calling them, yes, but also by what? Gifting them. There are gifts that are needed and necessary. We read some of the qualifications, but there are also spiritual gifts that are necessary for the position. And all of those gifts are given by the grace of God, by the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul tells Timothy not to neglect the gift that is in him by the laying on of the hands of the elders of the church. Timothy received a gift in the Holy Spirit and he couldn't let himself get discouraged. He had to stir up that gift and use it. And Paul is saying here, the pastor needs to remember that it is the Holy Spirit who has put him in that position and he needs to use those gifts to serve the Lord in his position as pastor. The next three of these things, and we'll, we'll, we'll start off with this next week, is that in addition to remembering who put them there, the pastor needs to remember his position. And we're going to talk about that word overseer a little bit. He needs to remember his task, which is to shepherd the church of God. And he needs to remember whose church it is. It is the Lord's, purchased by his own blood. We've run out of time for today, but we will elaborate on those three things next week. Okay, But for today, it is enough to remember that when Paul says, take heed to yourselves, the pastor needs to remember his own walk, And the pastor needs to remember who has put him in that position. And all of us as believers need to remember that it is God at work in our pastor. And we need to pray for him and respond to him in a way that shows love, respect for his position and his work. And a desire to see God do as much in him and in all the church as he might do. Amen? Let us close with uh, prayer and then let's have our singers come back up here too. We thank you, Lord God, for this time in your word. And my prayer, Lord God, is that all of us would receive these many things we have read from the scriptures. Myself especially, but even maybe others here, Lord God, who may be pastors one day. And certainly, Lord, everybody in the church who ought to recognize what the pastor's job is and pray for it and support it. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for this time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.